Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I'd like to, uh, I'll read the scripture uh, before we're seated today, Uh, but I'd like to talk to you today on God's assurance. God's assurance. We're going to look at the, the text, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. It says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, For he, for God, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we, everyone say we. So because of this, because of that, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen, amen. Let's pray before we're seated. Lord, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for your presence that we feel in this place and uh, just the presence of of not just a good feeling, but the presence of the Almighty God that has come in and moved around amongst us is is alive and and in us today, God. I thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, God. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I ask that our uh, minds be molded today, God. Lord, let us feel uh, the presence. Let us feel the tug of your spirit, God, to continue to draw closer to you, another step closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm no doctor, and I don't think many of you are today, but we do have a lot more resources than we used to way back in the day. Anybody not feeling good and you start typing things in a search engine? (laughs) Trying to just figure out maybe what's going on. A lot of fingers are being pointed. And, um, you know, it, maybe it helps us, right? It helps us get a, bear, a bearing on maybe what sh- we should even do, if we should be overly concerned or not. Some people even go as far on social media. Anybody ever, else ever had this, you know? Boy, that'll really stir something up. Testimonies come flying from everywhere, you know? And this is what they did. You know, you get home remedies out of that. But... Um, I know, and I, I don't want to be insensitive today. I know there's certain realities, and I, I know there's certain things that we all face personally in life. Even myself, I've thought of a few things that I, I don't intend. You know, you don't intend to share things. You don't put things on here, but sometimes things keep coming out when you're up here. This is a, a scary place sometimes, <laughs> and it's a very lonely place. I've envisioned this moment from the day I accepted it on PCO. <laughs> I mean, I think of, I mean, I would rather Pastor Tom tell me like two days before maybe. That would be just a little bit better. I would relax a little bit more up until this point. Am I right, Anth? Look, he's sweating just knowing. He knows right now when the next time he's speaking. I guarantee it. And Pastor Kristen? Yep. We all, we, we sit here just think, and Sister Reed's laughing. Yep. It's not funny. I'm the one saying it here right now. I'm up here by myself. 
All right, see, lost my train of thought already. But I, what I want to say is I, I don't want to be insensitive today. So I, I know there's certain things that we have all wrestled out in life that we've struggled with mentally and personally. And I, I want to today, knowing that, and, and science and medical and doctors, you know, when we have something wrong, we want to do our best a lot of times to try to figure out how to overcome it. We want to investigate a little bit. We're praying about it. We, we try to get a plan of attack because we don't want to live like that. Okay? So let me just say I understand that piece of all that today. And I understand that there are fears in life. I understand that there are real social phobias. In fact, there's so many, that's just kind of how they label it anymore. Just There's a handful of social phobias. I know that there's even a fear of open spaces. There's a fear of heights. I'm often the one climbing on a ladder, looking down at someone who says, I- I'm glad, I- there's no way I'm going up there. And it's usually at their house. Yeah. You know, there's a fear of flying. There's a fear of enclosed spaces. There's a fear of insects. There's a fear of snakes. I was looking for Ethan. Where are you at? Okay, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> Um, there's a fear of dogs. There's a fear of storms. If you've been in a storm driving, driving in a storm is probably the worst. If you're with someone that has a fear of a storm and you're in a car with them and the thunder is rattling, you know, everything. I mean, that's very real for that person in that moment. There's also a fear of needles. I know some people have a fear. Look, hands are going up on that one. Yeah, a fear of needles. So... Let me just say it this way, knowing and understanding that, that there, are, there are these certain fears and, that are real to us in life. These are feelings that keep you from doing something, or they get you all worked up, and they even get us afraid. Let me just try to generalize some fears that some of us may have had in the years, from our childhood to now. You know, let me try to water it down a little bit, and then we'll gear a different way, probably a a sharp right turn, knowing myself, but, you know, I, I had a fear growing up, I know I'm about to step out here, of asking a girl out. Okay, hear me out. It's going to make sense here in a second. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to ask a girl out unless I knew she was going to say yes, right? Fear of just rejection, and, and then what would happen if you asked them out, they said no. Everybody knew about it. I mean... Like, that was in third period, and by, you've hit lunch, and they're like, bro, I can't, I can't believe she said, I can't believe you asked her, you know, and, and you're just like, right, so you, what would you do? I would play that whole game, like, you know, you'd be talking with them a lot, hanging out at recess, going to her places, and then one of her friends would be like, so you gonna ask her out? And I'm like, well, is she interested? Right, that was your window of opportunity to say, well, I don't know. I mean, should I? Like, should I ask her out? What do you think? You think I should ask her out? And so you're, you're going back and forth. And then once you get this clear, yes, you should ask her out. And I was like, all right, we're takeoff. We're going. We're down this path. I will say there was one time. Her name was Julie. She told me, yes, you should ask this other girl out. I'm like, you sure? Back and forth, back and forth. This is all phone, right? You know, I mean, 
I mean, where are you going? That's always the joke, right? At fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, when you're going out with someone, that was the joke of the parent. Where are you guys going? <laughs> right? Uh, we're talking on the phone. I'm going to see him at school. It was like the clearance for you were allowed to talk with him on the phone. But the parental joke was, where are you guys going, huh? Yeah. And uh, so, so I, she, we're back and forth on the phone. I'm talking with each of them on the phone. I can tell you where I was sitting at the house on Joan Drive. And here, the other girl, Stacy, gets on the phone. I ask her out, and she goes, no, you know, I, I still like... I'm going to Leah loop all these names around. I'm leaving last names out of this just in case, because this is all live, right? <laughs> and she goes, no, I still kind of like JR. And I was like, okay. Julie gets back on the phone. Julie, we just had this conversation. You told me she was going to say yes. Didn't happen that way. What about, anybody ever been to the ocean? Yeah. You know, it's nice to play in the water, but they say you're what? You're always within like 20 yards of a shark. You ever heard that statistic? It's probably really true. I mean, and you see those guys fishing like a little bit away from you, and they're like reeling in sharks, and you're like, I was just swimming out there. And so, you know, you're out in the water, but, you know, you keep wading out, and it's fun. You want to get out a little bit more than ankle deep, but the moment that what happens... Like, you can't see, it's murky water, right? Moment that piece of seaweed touches it, you're like, <laughs> you're like looking around, you're going pause, the Jaws music's in your head, and you're like looking around real quick, all of a sudden you're not so brave anymore getting out there in the water, right? It's just, but you want to, you want to be out there. Sometimes that's enough for people, they're done the rest of the trip. Now, scared of the dark, I don't, I don't care how old you are, you don't really grow out of this one. Okay? Nobody's disagreeing with me right now. I just want to say that. You could scan that room 20 times. The moment those lights go off and you hear, you're like, <laughs> you're looking around fast, your mind's going through. And, you know, two hours when it's full daylight, you heard that bump, you looked over and you're like, whatever, water's moving through, pipes are moving, something. you're like, I don't care. You know, next thing you know, a, you hear that when that light's gone? A burglar's in the house. Oh, yeah, you've thought the worst. Next thing you know, you and your family's all taped up, wrapped up, laying on the ground. I mean, you, you have gone worst-case scenario immediately as soon as you heard that bump in the, in the night, in the darkness, right? Look, TJ's laughing. He's gone like full recon. He's got headlight. He's got guns. He's walking through the house, and... I guarantee it's happened before, and Lindsay is nodding her head. Look, do not, do, after dark, do not knock on that door. That's all I got to say. Even if you're a friend. So what, what's so different about that house in the dark? It's, it's the fact you can't see anything. The darkness has blinded us of things that we should normally be able to see, the things that we should normally be able to no, there's something about darkness. There's something about the darkness. And there's this weird parallel, right, with darkness, with evil, right? And so when we parallel that and we think about things that overshadow us, things that darken our day, things that darken our thoughts, it's, 
it's real, it's easy to parallel, parallel that or connect it to the fact, yeah, that's kind of how I feel once the lights go off. I feel that way about that in this situation. But the true reality is it's uncertainty. And uncertainty brings fear. Uncertainty brings fear in us, down to the bone at times. Fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. There's no true threat of immediate physical danger. No threat of a loss of someone or something dear to us. Actually, nothing there at all. Fear is an illusion. Fear is normal, though. It's a natural flight response to danger in our surroundings. But let me tell us today, us, that fear, it intends to keep you from fulfilling the destiny that God has on your life. That's what fear's purpose is in the spiritual realm. It's from living a joyful life. It's from fear doesn't want you to live a spirit-led existence where you could give to, uh, to others the overflow of the love that God has poured into your life. I go back to that verse, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, it's the assurance of God. He may, we may boldly say, because he said... I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So this is the author of Hebrews. He's reaching back to um, the Old Testament from the first part of this verse. I will never leave you nor forsake you. From Deuteronomy 31, we read here Joshua is becoming the new leader. Moses is handing off the leadership. In verse 1, it says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. So he knew he wasn't going in to the promised land. He's giving his last words to Joshua before he speaks to the people. He says, The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. He shall dispose them. Or dispossess them. Joshua uh, himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land. And he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The author of Hebrews is reminding us back from the Old Testament that that was not just for the children of Israel for that time, for that moment, for that battle. But that was words spoken by God. That was the assurance of God spoken to into existence, into time for us even today. In Psalms, David writes 118, verse, or chapter 118, verses 5 and 6, the second part of this verse from Hebrews. I called on the Lord in distress, in a time of need. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. And it says here, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What 
can man do to me? What's he saying? I will not be obsessed with apprehension. When I'm tempted to fear, I will remember God's words of assurance. Many of us falter when faced with life um, or difficult situations. It makes us human. It's the humanity that we look at um, in the mirror today, this morning. But the fear creeps in and we forget God's assurance. So today I'm here trying to remind us, trying to remember as as uh, the author of Hebrews, he, has, he told them, look, look back on the words of God written in the Old Testament that are for you today saying, I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is it about the word of God by itself? That's more assuring than anything else that we have in life. It's because there's power in the word of God. It's because the word was what? Made flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God is real and applicable to our lives day in, day out, and in every single moment. So I ask and worry today in this topic and thought, how many God-given dreams have gone unrealized because we let fear overcome or paralyze us? How many God-given dreams? How many things, how many visions did God give you? What are the times that God spoke into your life and sent you a direction, but fear came over you? And these fears became, didn't let this dream be realized. These verses tell me when I start to feel the feelings of fear, I need to be full of courage and say, the Lord is my helper. When it seems like no one is able to help you and all your resources are gone, I will not fear because the Lord is on my side. We have got to lift our head and tilt our ear because the Lord God Almighty has already said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Today, I implore you, I encourage you to remember and to know that we have the assurance of God. There's more verses that continue to tell us this. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7 Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. It doesn't come from God, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The assurance of God. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, the assurance of God. Psalms 23 and verse 4, well quoted, well printed everywhere in our lives from from blankets to bookmarkers to the front of Bibles is Psalms 23. But how often do we reach back and apply it? How often do we look back and feel the assurance of God when we read, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, for you, for God, for God, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, 
They comfort me. God, you are with me. This is what? The assurance of God. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. King David talks to Solomon as he begins to build the temple. And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Fear only has the power and the strength that we give it. Only what we allow fear to paralyze us, only to that dimension. But at the moment of the name of Jesus... At the moment of the reading of the scripture, of the word of God that's been spoken into the lives of many people, in that moment, in that moment is power released into your life. Fear is squished. Fear is pushed away. We have the power. We have God's assurance. Amen. Could you clap your hands? I'm not real good with music. Okay. There they are. But songs come to me a lot when I'm, and I don't try to sing them. I just play them on YouTube. But there's a recent song that says, Fear, He is a Liar. It's a powerful song. I don't, I don't even really know how popular it is, but I begin to look at the lyrics. I knew some of them from it being played on the radio. But it says fear, it's talking about fear, it said when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough, he sings fear, he is a liar. He'll take your breath. He'll stop you in your steps. Fear, he is a liar. He will rob your rest. How many have lost sleep over situations? Steal your happiness. It says, cast your fear in the fire because fear, he is a liar. When he told you you were troubled, you'll forever be alone. When he told you you should run away, you'll never find a home. When he told you you were dirty and you should be ashamed. When he told you you could be the one that grace could never change. Fear, he is a liar. He'll take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear is stopping us from doing what God wants us to do. And today we need to tell fear He's a liar. Amen. Some of us need to read those scriptures of assurance. It's amazing because in the true reality of things, when we step away, we know it wasn't true what we started to let ourselves think. Isn't that crazy? It's part of this humanity that we have to know and understand, but that's why God gave us his word. He gave us his word for in times of trouble. 
in times before a battle, in times when a situation begins to get difficult, he's saying, I gave you the word of assurance right here that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that I am your helper, that I am on your side. He tells us today still, I do not or you should not fear. One of the greatest stories in the Bible of the many stories I know that are great, but one that I thought of with this was the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon. Gideon is visited by an angel. And he explains to Gideon that he is the angel of the Lord. And the angel said, go and deliver Israel from the Midianites because God is with you. Gideon in his true humanity in that moment Years removed from maybe what God had done for the Israelites, basically tells this angel, where has God been? Where's he been? All these wonders of our fathers that were told to us since Egypt, but now God has abandoned us. That's what Gideon told that angel. We just read a lot of times the victory. That's how this conversation started. He says, Where's he been? We're enslaved again. The other armies just circle around and ravish us at different times. Gideon, he told, the angel told him, go and make a sacrifice and I'll prove to you that God is with you. Gideon made a sacrifice before the Lord. The angel reaches out with his sword and a fire consumes the sacrifice. Then Gideon goes on. This is why we like Gideon. I know we like the disciples a lot of times too, but Gideon is a good one to make you feel a little bit better at times. So even after he's had this conversation and seen that, then he says, I would like another, I'd like you to prove to me one more time that this is all really, that God is on our side and this is how this is going. And the story goes that he laid a fleece out before the Lord two different ways. God proves to him once. He reverses his thought with God and says, ask him to prove it again. Sorry, something's trying to attack me right there. <laughs> Reminded me of that bug yesterday that flew in front of the quiz table. I was like, I was disturbed like eight rows back. Like, I was doing good staying focused. So we know he puts a fleece out before the Lord and he says... Let dew come in the morning and let everything be wet but the fleece, which we know if you've been camping and you accidentally leave something out, that's frustrating. Yeah, like that was my only shirt, <laughs> right? So it happens and Gideon says, this is great, but Lord, may I ask, the next morning could everything be dry and only the fleece be wet? And it happens. So then... Gideon is a little bit more, uh, he's, he's, he's ready to go here. He's feeling encouraged. The Midianites and the Amalekites, they begin to gather nearby. They gather a very large army along uh, the seaside there. And then God says to Gideon, go ahead and start to gather your army. So he does, and he ends up with 32,000. 32,000 men. I'd be, I think he's thinking, all right, well, this is good. That is another little check mark here because I wouldn't want to go into this battle with uh, anything less than that. And then the Lord says, this is too many, because now the enemy is going to say, well, of course you beat us. 
You had 32,000. You guys have been enslaved again for a while. You're upset about this. So you, you came in, and, and, and that's what's going to happen. So he says, tell any of them, ironically, and this doesn't really help what I was saying earlier, but he tells them, any of you that are, are fearing this battle. I know. But hey, full disclosure, I'm just going to lay it out there. This is the word of God, so I'm feeling assured by it. So he just says, look, anybody feeling afraid, go ahead and go home. And everybody's like, whew, see ya. So 22,000, outing. They just leave, and they're gone. They were, they were happy about that. The Lord says, and Gideon's probably thinking, okay, well, it's going to be a little more difficult, a little bit of strategy involved, but I can do this with 10,000. The Lord says, still too many. Still too many. This is not going to be, bring glory to me in this process, in this battle. And he sends them all to get a drink of water, right? Sends them to get a drink of water, and he says, okay, you send them. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They get there to drink, and he says, any of them that are laying down, just drinking the water up, send them home. Anybody that's kneeled and brought the water to themselves to keep a lookout, I want you to keep them. Now he's down to 300. I think it's understandable that he might be feeling like, maybe I ate something bad, and I'm hearing voices in my head. <laughs> right? And some, something's going wrong. But we see here in Judges uh, chapter 7, verses 9 through 18, I'd like to read these um, 10 verses here. It said, It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Look at these next words. But if you are afraid to go down, this is God talking to Gideon. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. A lot. Verse 13. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, this is surprising, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. I'm assuming that was a big piece of bread. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon. Remember, Gideon and his servant are sitting here listening to this. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He turned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand and empty pitchers and torch, torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But that verse, it says up there, but if you're afraid to go down, if you're afraid to go down, still in that moment, Gideon was still overcome with fear. I think in this whole process, especially after he had done all this work, gathered all these men, and then God kept sending some 
away, not some, almost all away. And he's down to this 300. Here he's supposed to deliver the Israelites. Here he's supposed to deliver his people. But he says, but, but God tells him, but if you are afraid to go down. But Gideon didn't fear. Gideon began to do what? He was leaning back. He was waiting for that moment. And somehow in that moment, when God sends him down and he hears the whispers, he hears the telling of the dreams, the assurance of God comes over him. When he hears them talking about what's going to happen, that surely that the Midianites, the Amalekites are going to be delivered into the hands, there's the whisper of God's assurance begins to sweep over him. As I look at that story, I begin to think of Noah for years, right? Years building that ark. What kept him doing it? What kept him doing it in the moments, in the days that things were frustrated, when he was very frustrated, when things weren't all coming together, when it was impossible, when he stepped back and realized that it looked like nothing had been done that whole year? A true reality, probably. No progress made. There was something about the assurance of God that kept him moving. When I think about Moses and the plagues that he pushed through, and then even when they got to the desert and they're telling him, you should have left us in Egypt. What was it that kept Moses moving forward? I'm telling you, there was an assurance of God that was settled in his spirit. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, once again, a story that seems almost unbelievable. But he tells him, when the angel of the Lord tells him, go and make one loop around and do this for six days, then on the set, he's telling him these details. I would have loved to have seen Joshua's face in that moment. A man of courage, a man that was seasoned in battle. What was it that made him step out of his tent that next morning and say, this is what we're going to do? What was it that kept him going back day after day after day? What is it that helped you walk back in here today if nothing had changed since last Sunday with a situation that you've laid before the Lord? There's an assurance of God. There's an assurance of God that stirs in our spirit. David, when he knelt down to pick up those five stones, thinking, when there any, everybody else is looking at him thinking, this is crazy. This kid's about to be killed. There was something, there was an assurance of God that had already been swept over him. When I think of Paul and Silas, when I think of the two of them, the first missionaries moving about the country. When you read the verses before they were imprisoned, Brother Danny, are you getting ready? Me and Brother Danny, we're going to play Paul and Silas here. All of a sudden, here they are doing the work of God. Here they are doing the work of God. And then all of a sudden, they're imprisoned. And I don't just mean they were passing out bread I don't mean that they had just walked by and helped somebody put together a cart. The Spirit of God was directing them even where to go and how to travel. Paul was having dreams of who to go and preach the gospel to. 
they're doing the they're doing the the biggest work of God that could be done at that moment. They're spreading the gospel, and then all of a sudden, they find themselves chained down by life. Fear could have crept in in that moment. I don't think either of us could get on the ground. I don't. I mean, you can if you want. I, don't. I was just trying to think. Of, maybe we can we borrow this chair too. All right. How's this? Doing? Me and you were in jail. Yeah. Hopefully this isn't prophetic. <laughs> How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing good. But if I was gonna be with somebody, uh, you'd be a good person to be with, buddy. I think so. You too. Thank you. Are you Paul or Silas? I think I think Paul is the singer. Okay. <laughs> Silas. When I told him about this earlier, he said maybe Silas was silent. That was his nice way of saying Paul I got silent? this. I got this, Aunt. But when I think about Paul and Silas and them doing the work of God, and then all of a sudden, here they are. And, it, and the Bible's very clear. They brought them, they stripped them of their clothes. The Bible says they beat and flogged them. This was not just a, they roughed them up a little bit. I can imagine that they were, they were probably laying on the ground because they couldn't stand at this point. It's kind of like, some of the people over there can't see me. I'm sorry. And here they are. And what, what was it? What was it in that moment? What was it in that moment that would make them sing? What is it in the moment when life is, is beating you up and you've been praying for an answer? What is it that would make you walk back into this house when everything keeps going wrong and you think, God, I, I don't know why you're not answering this because... This is tearing my life apart. God, my life is falling apart. My marriage is about to divorce, but I, I, I keep paying my tithes. I keep waking up every morning and, and doing a devotion. God, I've got family members that are walking away from this, that are cursing my life. God, I'm in the most worst financial trouble I've ever been since I've been serving you. God, please help me figure this out. Here they are in prison and chained in life after doing the thick of ministry, more than they've ever done before, following the leading of the Spirit. And here they are. You say, see, Here they are imprisoned by life. What was it then? And the, and the verse, it says they were imprisoned, shackled. The, the guard was given direction to do what? Put them in the most inner cell because we don't want them getting away. We're going to make them suffer some more. And then the next verse, the next verse says they're singing hymns and praise to God. What is it in our humanity that would help us rise up and overcome that fear, that fear that says, see, I told you, this wasn't the path, this wasn't the walk that you were supposed to be doing. You should take your own life. You should forget about this because no one needs you, no one wants you. We should give up on this situation. We should move past it, right? But here they are, shackled, shackled and, and chained. And I, I thought of, the, I thought of the, the song, Blessed Assurance. There was some type of, there was an assurance of God that moved over them. Yes. That moved over them. Yes. That began to let them raise their hands and start to worship and sing out loud. Sing it for us, Brother Dan. Blessed Assurance. Blessed. Mm. 
Let the assurance of God just sweep over you right now. we have washed in his blood oh hallelujah sing again oh this is my story oh if this is your story raise your hands today if this is your story this raise your hands today sitting in there with Paul and Silas, I'd be thinking, you know what, I didn't ask for this, and I don't have everything that I ever asked for in life, and I don't know anybody that really does, and even when you think they do, we know that they don't, but I have all I need because I have Jesus, amen? I have all I need because I have the Lord. The Lord is with me. The Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. So therefore, I have all I need. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. You may be seated. As we remember the word of God today, I didn't give this to the audio, but it's amazing because I didn't, and here it is in my notes 
Brother Danny, Isaiah chapter 40. I had this in my notes before I knew it was part of what they were singing this morning. Verse 25, though, it says, To whom then will you liken me? Whom will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God that gives me assurance today. Amen. So I read a verse, I read a verse like that, many verses in the Bible, and I, I question, I ask myself then from these thoughts that I've had, the moments I've been tempted by fear, let fear uh, creep in and cripple me in those moments. I, I just ask myself, is God not able, empowered and energized by reading a verse like that? The creator of the ends of the earth never faints nor is weary. That is my God. Will we let our faith be, or our fear be greater than our faith? Will it hold us back from doing things for God? I tell us today that God is able. I want to tell you a story. I have two stories here as I'm, as I'm ending and the musicians can come on the second story. There's a picture here of a family that I'm going to put up this is a, a minister in, in Ohio. Some of the youth would know him. His name is Gavin Cole. He works with the youth in Ohio. He's at camps every year with them. He spoke at one of our uh, fall retreats years ago. But nine years, three months, and 13 days ago in St. Louis, Missouri, Gavin had given his life to the ministry. And he had gone to what was Gateway even then. It's Urshan. It's the Bible college there in St. Louis. So he, as he went there, though, he was very involved in sports growing up, something that maybe even had detoured him from trying to accept his call to the ministry. And when he went there, he decided, I'm not going to get wrapped up in sports. I'm going to keep my focus on my studies and ministry opportunities. One day, though, at the end of the semester, he was done with his studies, all of his classes were turned in. He was studied, ready for exams, and they were playing pickup basketball. He decided to go and participate that night. He played five to six games back to back. At the end of his last game, right at the end of the game, he jumps up, shoots a three-pointer to win the game. When his feet came down, he collapsed on the ground and fell back. Everybody thought he was being silly, like because he had just won the game. He was a very good basketball player. All the guys went out, got a drink of water, and started to use the restroom. 
When they made their way back in, they realized that Gavin is still laying there unconscious and had no pulse. At this point, 10 minutes had gone by with no oxygen. They quickly call the ambulance. The ambulance gets there and starts working on him. At this, at this point, 15 minutes, no oxygen. They, on the way to the hospital, the family calls his mom. She gathers some friends. They live in Kansas City, Missouri. They begin to uh, group together and start to make their way from Kansas City. A bunch of the uh, students gather in the foyer at the hospital, and they're praying, they're interceding for Gavin. Twice the doctors come out and say, he's clinically dead. You can stop praying. A third time the doctor comes out and said, listen, I don't want you guys to have false hope. He is dead. However, he was an organ donor. So there was a nurse in there doing compressions, working on him. Why? Because they couldn't take his organs yet until a family member declared him deceased and recognized his body. His mom makes a four-hour drive in two hours. Yeah, I dare a police officer to pull her over. (laughs) In four hours, she makes a two-hour drive. When she walks into the hospital, she can tell the countenance of the student's very somber, very, started to hug her and different things, threw her arms back and said, what are you guys doing? You better get back to praying. She walked in that hospital room, threw those doors open, started praying. Gavin jumped up and started speaking in tongues after two and a half hours of being dead with no oxygen. Hallelujah. Give praise to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Unexplainable to any doctor. Unexplainable in that moment, but it happened. The fear that had overcome the students of what they thought was going to happen, of what they thought was going on, they accepted that fear. Their faith was completely squished in that moment the third time that doctor came out. But a praying mother driving 100 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour, gets to a hospital and said, there's no place for fear here. Faith began to fill that room. Faith began to fill that hospital room as Gavin came back to life. So I ask you today, what have you given up on? What have you given up on? Where have you let faith or your, where have you let fear settle and push out faith? Who here today, today needs to be reminded of the assurance of God? The fact that He said He'll never leave us nor forsake us. What situation have you said? It's too big now. It's out of my hands. Only God can help. Maybe. Someone needs to listen on the edge of the enemy's camp. Someone needs to creep back down to the situation that seems impossible and lean your ear in and listen to the fear that's in the camp of the faith that they have in God that you've lost. 
It's the assurance of God. It's the creator of the universe saying, I'm your helper. Do not fear. Somebody still has the opportunity to write your own story, to exercise your faith in a situation that seems insurmountable in your life. Musicians, if you come, I, I was listening to a testimony of a man. He was a compulsive stutter, grew up being made fun of all of his life. In high school, when it was time to give presentations, he would run out of the room when it was his turn or wouldn't come to class and would stay in the hallway. And some of the teachers were very kind to him and would let him give his presentations afterwards. But he couldn't take being made fun of. He couldn't take that fear of just everybody knowing um, this uh, lack of ability that, that he had. He left high school, became uh, pretty successful, was driven by this area of his life, and even made it to the NFL. Within his time, within a short time after leaving the NFL and trying to settle in life, he found a relationship with God. All of a sudden, here he was, his words, ex-NFL player, found Jesus, everybody wanted to hand me a microphone. So he was asked to speak at a youth convention. Fear came over him immediately. All the memories of being made fun of. The fact that he was a new Christian. He pleaded with God, God, there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be somebody else that could speak to these kids, someone with more confidence. Don't you know I have a stuttering problem? He said, I was getting ready one morning because this was plaguing me every day. The fear had just consumed me, and I was trying to figure out how to get out of it and was wrestling back and forth with God. And God spoke to me and said, if I could raise Jesus from the dead, I can control your tongue to talk. Amen. Amen. You see, God's put a message of grace in all of us. A message of grace that's got to be heard. A message of grace that's got to be spoken to others. We have to put aside this why me and ask God how to walk this path. Ask for his strength. You may stand. Fear has been lying to all of us here today. It's been lying to us about our marriages. It's been lying to us about school. It's been lying to us about our friends. It's been lying to us about our self-worth. I'm going to bring it home. Ready? It's been lying to you about that life group that you can't start. Don't tell me that all of us have not thought of a life group and it's not come to play yet. Why? That's, that's probably not the one I should do. Fear has been telling, telling you that you're not the one to teach that Bible study, but God laid that person on your heart. I don't mean to say this quickly, but fear has kept some of you from coming to the altar. Why? God, God, he couldn't forgive all of this. 
Fear has kept you thinking that other people know your situation and they have no clue. But we let fear speak. We let fear just kind of let it snowball and accumulate and gets bigger and bigger. So the end of that story with that ex-NFL player, he got up there and he gave his testimony. He says note cards were just falling but he just kept speaking, and God just kept directing him in what to say. And he said that altar was packed, was so full. And he said he went over, and he looked back, and God spoke to him and said, if you wouldn't have listened to me, all these lives wouldn't have been changed. Will we let fear rob the glory that God is giving? Will, the, will we let dreams be unrealized? Will dreams go by and pass us and never be accomplished because we've let fear be too great in our life? God's asked you to do something, you specifically. Somebody else could do it. God could use somebody else, but it won't be that unique contribution that only you can give. It won't be your personality. It won't be the touch that you could have on it. It won't be the network of people that might have come to be a part. And only you have the opportunity to give that dream a life. I know it doesn't happen this way, but could you imagine on your deathbed if in that moment you could see and were surrounded by all the dreams, the visions, the opportunities that God asked you to be a part of that never came to fruition? How haunted will we feel in that moment? We've got to listen to the assurance of God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.